Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. You probably can't hear the difference, but I can certainly see the difference. I am coming to you, at least in the opener of this one, from the new house. I've been talking about this quite a bit the last couple of years. It has been absolutely backbreaking, but we are in, and it is beautiful. I got a roof, a living roof that I can land on. It's all powered by the sun, and it's a nice spot. So for the next few months and years, I'll be able to be much more reliable in getting these out to you on time and uh, this is the recording spot I have built is fantastic and very well insulated and be much easier to do so uh, that's exciting the other bit of exciting news before we get into this one is we just had a very successful Red Rocks wide open one of our US Nationals events this is going to be the place where we're hosting a PWC next year, which is really exciting. We haven't had a PWC here since Sun Valley, which was one of my first comps back in 2012. Had four really amazing tasks. Uh, an evening task that started at 5.20 and 73K and landed at sunset. And a couple hundred mile task, which is pretty unusual in the world of uh, racing paragliders. So that was fun. A couple days up around 17 grand. So for those of you uh, hoping to come over next year, uh, Europeans, our European friends and friends from around the world who are looking at the PWC schedule next year, we hope you'll come join us. It's a pretty amazing place to fly, amazing terrain. It was a lot of fun. My guest today is Martin Jovanoski, very accomplished PWC pilot. He won the World Cup in Turkey that I was with him at a couple years ago in Axaray, which was actually my best World Cup at fourth there, but he was uh, he was crushing that one and has is a sailplane pilot and tandem pilot instructor from Macedonia. He's been a big part in with with Goron and making that such an amazing comp site in Kruševo and is always the most smiley person on launch. He has that kind of first flight stoke every flight he has. He's never had an accident, and he's just thrilled to be in the, in the air. In fact, I don't know that I've ever spoken with anybody who's so enamored with flying, especially after doing it so long as he has. He's been flying since he was a kid. Uh, he comes from a family of flying, and he just was enthralled from the beginning and still is. So we talk a lot about racing and strategy and, and just life and sponsorship and the beginning to the end with this crazy world we all love i had a blast doing this we were both at the french world cup in targason and we had some weather days and got to sit down with martin which is always a treat to do these live so enjoy this is a great talk with a great human and a fantastic pilot cheers Martin, uh, cool racing with you this week, and we don't get to do these live very much because I'm over on the other side of the pond, but nice to sit with you here in France. We didn't get to race today, the last day, unfortunately, but I wanted to start this off by uh, a little different than, than I normally do. I want to thank you for, I've done a number of comps with you now and seen you in many places around the world, and you're always just a light 
<laughs> you're you're always you seem to have the most fun of any everybody. So whatever I'm around, it's this that I'm looking at right now. It's this smiling, happy. You're always just incredibly jovial. You have a great attitude about all of this. So thanks. You make uh, you make coming to these comps a lot more fun for me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. First of all, for inviting me to the podcast, I've been a huge fan of the podcast since the very beginning, actually. And uh, doing it uh, live with you, it's uh, really, as I told you, it will be my honor to, to be a guest. And it was a, it was a nice week. Yeah. And it's maybe even uh, nicer that we are doing this at the end of the week, uh, after all the racing and all the fun. It, this place is cool. really cool. Um, have you been here before? I've never been anywhere close to here before, yeah, and I love it. Uh, I think uh, for me, it's probably now in top three competition areas I've been. I would. It's I would such agree. a nice playground with so many complications and options and possibilities together with uh, the Spanish side Berga, yeah. where we went, and here. I think uh, it's it's a very nice place. I would love to be back. The flight we did day two, I, I made a mistake after the I had a nice start and then made kind of a mistake and then a, a few of us were were off. You guys in the lead gaggle and when we were racing through the mountains, I kept forgetting we were racing. I just thought I, uh, this is amazing. Oh, I could top land there and I could bivy there and look at that lake and it was just that was beautiful, magnificent. That was one of the coolest flights I've had. It was beautiful. I I I will agree with that 100% I was I was with the leading gaggle and everybody was so pumped up we were racing full bar all the time and I was like guys can we just stop for a minute <laughs> just, just check to, it out just to look around a little bit <laughs> it was amazing yeah I'm, I'm very impressed I mean I think in the end too we had a really bad forecast coming into it and I almost didn't come but I'm glad I did I mean we got four tasks that's not too bad and I'd love to come back yeah, me too, definitely. And yeah, we were lucky with the forecast. I, I think, think we it turned out much better than expected. Yeah, yeah. But it, this is the nature of paragliding. You never know you until know. you are there at sight. Even like one day ago, it looked like yesterday it's a worse day, day than today. And we ended up not flying today and nice task yesterday. So yeah. You guys had an incredible finish. I was one of the unlucky ones. Didn't even I barely made it to the start. I was never above the launch and that stability. But I was watching the the live tracking. I mean, Hano and and Maxime just barely skated in. And from my eyes, did you re barely make it? Yes. It looked yeah. like you I, were feet off the ground. When I, you hit the I landed line. backwind as well. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> that looked like quite I, an interesting final glide for a lot of people. It's coming in right on the treetops. Nerve-wracking. I had a similar um, task ending on the previous task, and yeah. I was like, oh, come on, not again. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I had that one on the previous one. right? That, I, I think it was a 21 to goal. I said, I, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And then I made it. It was just, oh, thank you. <laughs> Sidewind. Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, on this comp, uh, it was a lot of very interesting options, very surprising options that were happening. And I think it surprised a lot of time the leading gaggle, but so others could catch up. It was quite fun. Yeah, quite pretty fun. interesting flying. So when did you get into this game? And this, for those who aren't familiar with you, don't know you, that are listening to the show, uh, Macedonia is your home, but is that where you grew up? How did you, when did it all start for you? Yes. This is a long story, but... Uh, we I, love I, stories. I, Start from the beginning. <laughs> I, I'm actually very uh, lucky 
I grew up in a flying family, let's say. My father was flying, uh, already started sailplanes in the 75, 6, wow, 7. cool. Uh, yeah, back in the day, uh, in Yugoslavia times, it was like uh, almost free for anyone that wanted to go. So wow. kids could just sign up and go skydiving or sailplanes or whatever. Did you I, fly with your dad in the sailplane? Yes, cool. but that's that's another. So he went to the school for sailplanes, but never got a license. Okay. After that, uh, army and whatever, he started flying with hang gliders first, and then as paragliders came into the world, uh, he naturally start, started that when I was born or something like that. Yeah. And only much later, thirty years later, I am now instructor for sailplanes. And I took him on a sailplane flight with me instead of me with him. Really? Yes. You're an instructor so, for sailplanes? I just got the license this oh, year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you been flying sailplanes for a long time? Since 2017. Okay, so the obvious but question. That's a, well, okay. Yeah. Keep telling your story and we come back to sailplanes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, I, I grew up in this port from the very beginning. Um I'm born in 1990, yeah. so exactly at a time when paragliding came up, but there were still a lot of hang gliders in my childhood, and then more and more paragliding. And back in the day, also Macedonia is almost, almost at the end of the world, you know. It was a young country in the 90s. Uh, when was the Yugoslavia breakup? 1991 or something. 91, yeah, yeah. okay, gotcha. So... Um, informations and all of that was not easy to 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 get, but we were quite lucky because we had a good generation of uh, hang glider pilots that moved to paragliding. Okay. So it was a very easy transition. These were all pilots, some from air clubs, some with some flying background. So they knew a lot of stuff about flying. And could progress quite fast with with paragliding as well. And I watched uh, my father and the friends flying all the time. Was and this I, in Khrushchevo? Yes, this yeah. was in Khrushchevo. I was, so <laughs> that's where you grew up. This hey, I I'm born hey. in I'm born in Prilep, thirty minutes away. Oh my god! But I grew up on the takeoff. Basically, every summer we would go there, like in May, set up a campsite. And then when the weather is good, stay there, fly. And when it's bad, just go back to home 30 minutes away and come back. And from my experience, the weather's not often very bad. Yes. <laughs> we God, are, that place is reliable. We are lucky. In general, Macedonia has around 300 sunny days a year. But especially anything between May and September, it's uh, really amazing. So I made uh, my first tandem flight when I was like six, something like that, from a small hill, then uh, some bigger flights. And then around nine, I really started to crave a lot to let me go alone, <laughs> to fly alone. And this is almost 2000, imagine. There yeah. were not many kids flying uh, like it is now at the age of nine, 10, 11, 15. Yeah. And but I was still very light. So it and was you were a, you were flying by yourself? Not yet. So at nine, I was really I really started pushing, and well, like we had some fights and at home, of course, and the, it was a good excuse because I was still too light, and it was like, come on, watch 
watch the charts, there is no such a small glider at all. So yeah. you have to wait, you have to wait. Uh, it was a good, uh, like a humbling experience for me. He, he took me one day for ground handling, but with his big wing yeah. and I couldn't do anything. And I was like, oh, so disappointed. But I was like, okay, now I need to gain weight. I need to get stronger. And I, I, I was like consciously eating more to gain weight. <laughs> and at 11, I was like, okay, I look at the chart. Now I'm in. Now we have to go do it. And I was pushing, pushing more. And finally started to do some flights at 11. Wow. But yeah, we were... Was your dad nervous? <laughs> I can... I, I don't have memories of that in those years, but uh, as I grow up and I look other young people flying or later, especially my brother started flying at nine ten as well. He's five years younger than me and yeah. me watching him, I was like, oh, I realize what my father have done for me because that's a big step to take your kid flying. It's, yeah. it's not easy, definitely. I've not. got my, my daughter six and I just took her on a couple tandems. We were down in Costa Rica for a bit and even that was just was very tense for me. Just It's, it's your kid. <laughs> I Now as I'm thinking, I'm not sure if I will be so brave to send uh, some... My my kid or or a very close relative for for a very young age like that, it's really amazing. I didn't really discover flying until I was mid thirties. I mean, I had seen it a little bit up in Seattle. There's a really famous site there called Tiger, and a buddy of mine lived right at the LZ, and he always for ten years you should come there. And I'd go and I'd look, and that looks really boring. It just didn't seem that exciting. I didn't I had no idea about XC. And yeah. Remember, I could fly wasn't even really a thing back then, but. Uh, I didn't, I, I just, they looked like they just and then landed and that was, that was it. But, uh, so I, I wasn't, I wasn't very interested in it, but when I did get into it, I always felt thankful that I did when I was older, because I think if I was 20 with the kind of risk I was taking when I was 20, I've often been curious about that. You know, if you grew up in it, how did you stay safe when you're young? Because when you're young, you're just stupid. <laughs> yes, definitely. But the- I, I was, again, lucky on that side as well. My father was super safety-orientated pilot. Okay. He never had any accident at all in 45 years. Of wow. And, uh, like, no, no broken bone or anything. Hmm. And um, from a very young age, I was put into that uh, kind of safety mode, let's say. Okay. And I'm actually quite proud of that because it led me to much much more smooth development let's say maybe mm-hmm. not as fast as uh, people developing these days but back in the days also the gliders that we were flying they were not easy to just go for it and a lot of hap- a lot of accidents could happen and were happening around and with this kind of safety mentality, I, I think uh, it was a very good approach that kept me safe even through my teenage years or, or whatever. And I can, yeah, proudly say I've never opened a rescue or been anywhere close to something like that, even flying acro or anything like that. So hmm. I'm. All these years you've never thrown in no, reserve. Wow. No. Uh, Not even awesome. being close to it. I mean, you know, it's part it's part being cautious, part being lucky as well. 
I've been uh, testing, I've been working as a test pilot for companies, you know, we go on competitions, pushing a lot, uh, like you wouldn't push if you're not on a comp, or, uh, I don't know, learning acro and stuff like that. Definitely, there is some luck there as well. Mm. But for sure, being a little bit more careful can lead to uh, definitely much safer flying. Mm. And I, I am really big into this propaganda of safety and safe progress because I really think that at the end, it puts you in a better mental state than be progressing super fast with some accidents because still from time to time this will affect your your judgment or or thinking you know how, how do you impart that kind of progression and mentality in association with risk to your students how do you when the people that come to you that just start learning how do you take your brain and put it in theirs it's very very difficult but a lot of talking a lot of talking I think I work more on the mentality side of my students than anything else because you know the techniques uh, they will come naturally naturally some of them mm -hmm. or it they're easy to fix you just uh, you look at somebody making mistake you tell them to correct this and this and that and in two days they will do it better but this mentality needs a lot of time to digest by 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 someone's brain and it, it needs time to become your pattern of behavior it's not uh, only okay i heard yeah i need to be safe and that's it because i, I find a lot of pilots actually uh want to be safe but they don't know how mm. because they are not aware of the risks so they they are like no 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 i don't want any risk but then they go and do something totally risky because they don't know right and we don't know what we don't know in the beginning i've often struggled with that i'm not an instructor but i've thought about that you know when you're when you get your intermediate license and you're kind of you get to go fly the coop a little bit you leave the nest but you don't know what you don't know uh it's a hard thing to impart i would think how do, how do you teach them what they don't know in the beginning do you do you share with them the scary stuff the scary stories the real risks uh you know, is there a way to do that without scaring them away from the sport? I believe in uh, people need to be aware of what they are getting into because flying and thinking that nothing can happen, it's definitely not the safe way, no matter how much scary that can be, because you need to be aware that, yes, I'm flying. Yes, I'm beginner. Yes, I'm trying to be safe, but things can happen unexpectedly. Uh, so I try to present it in a way that here is a good example. I know people that are flying without any major accidents, without uh, being set back and not progressing as well. So people that are progressing, that are getting better and better, but no accident. But here is the other example. People that uh, done only one stupid thing and they got hurt. Mm. So you need to be aware, ready. And when you're ready, you will also think more of the risks. Mm. Because flying, just thinking that nothing can happen, it can definitely be much more dangerous than 
knowing, okay, this can be dangerous, that can be dangerous, and, and thinking about the, the possibilities. Mm. But you know also that the sport has progressed uh, so much in terms of safety of the wings, and it's so much easier now than ever to get into that it's also quite difficult to explain the dangers as well because people are flying and flying and flying and nothing is happening yeah. because the wings are so good. So why would something happen? What do you think about this? I mean, there are people here. At the, this is a quite high-level comp. There's a lot of AAs here and uh, the French team and that kind of thing. But there were a lot of pilots here at this comp who have been flying three years. You know, they, they have very little experience and they're flying at the top. You know, the, it doesn't get any higher than the World Cup. What do you think about that? Is it, it is remarkable that, I mean, when I learned in 2004, you, you didn't go to an END for years, you know, that anybody did. It was just, that was something you didn't do. And the World Cup was kind of out of reach. I mean, those people were just, oh, wow, those are World Cup pilots. But you had, that was just off the radar, at least for me, where I learned and where I got going. It was, it, it was, you know, it was expected that it would take years and years to become a World Cup pilot. And now people are doing it really quick. No, I agree completely. I also learned in 2001, I started. Uh, the majority of my learning was in the 2000s. And it was like that. It, it's not that these pilots are doing something uh, totally superhuman. It's definitely the progress of the equipment that allows talented people to progress very quickly without major accidents. Mm. And I think it's a very good thing. Uh, I, I have a lot of good examples around from people uh, being uh, progressing in the sport very quickly in a very safe way, as long as they have the talent and the right mentality. Mm. Uh, Darko, my teammate, is one of them. He started flying only in 2017. And wow, he's doing great. He's top pilot in the world. Yeah. But this is uh, something that people need to be aware of. And as long as you are still pushing it in the same way, I think it's a very good thing because it brings the sport to the masses. Finally, we can... That's why we have more competitions, more competition pilots, less accidents. And I, I really like it, this way of development, actually, of the wings. Mm. To be honest, in the, in the past, it was really difficult to progress. And even when you progress, there were years with much more worse wings. And then the wings get kind of normal. Then again, another step in performance, but at the cost of of safety mm -hmm. uh, it was really unstable now there is a nice stable progress to all, all the classes and definitely the latest generation of comp wings it's totally amazing what we can do with these wings every flight i do i'm like oh this is the this is the best times of aviation <laughs> yeah it's, it's amazing pretty, it's pretty special what what's your approach to siv and what's your personal approach and also to for your for your students i do a lot of savs i do normally two to three savs a year yeah. spring and autumn and i think it's probably the best way to get to know your wings at the moment and there is 
you know, SAVs has been done for many years, but it's done at such a wide range of pilots, instructors, people, and it, the, the wings have been progressing quite a lot throughout the years, but not always the courses. I'm, I'm really into this uh, way that, you know, you need to, the SAV to train. It's very difficult to simulate the exact behavior of the glider in real turbulence. It, it will never happen. Yeah. But what you need the SAV for is to train the behavior of your wing in certain scenarios, which not always means that you go full bar collapse. Half of the time, especially on the ENB wings, it's almost for nothing. It's a good experience for the pilot. Yeah. Okay, I got a full collapse on full bar and nothing happened. It's good for their mind, but it's not that going to help them to react on it when it really happens. Sure. So I try to promote more of a training way of SAV than, okay, now you did these eight flights, you did these eight maneuvers, and now you know how it feels. Um, I'm more pushing into, you know, you can see it in other sports as well. Football players are not playing football to get better at football when they have a match. Right. You need, and I, I have very similar approach to paragliding in general, including SAV. You need certain exercises to get good in order to perform when this skill is needed. And I think it's, SAV is definitely a crucial thing for anyone not to do once, but to do it often, every year. For sure, depending on the place and your skill, once you get better, it's something uh, that you can part of SAVs, you can train also on your own. It doesn't need that you can, you need to depend of instructor for a long time, but I would definitely suggest in those first years of paragliding, three, four guided SAVs under instruction on a yearly level, maybe the first year even two mm -hmm. at the at the beginning of your proper flying and then just to maintain those skills and to know what's happening with your with your wing when you're doing your own personal siv are you doing it on your comp wing yes yeah depends um i do when i want to do it on my comp wing to get ready for my comp wing yes yeah for sure okay uh every comp wing Every generation is slightly different, reacts slightly different on the full stall or this or that. How much does it jump after exit, after side uh, move or so on. So it's it's a good uh, exercise and getting to know your, your wing now. Mm. And you mostly just kind of fly, like tail slide or fly back to restart, You're just doing a bunch of stalls? With the comp wings, uh, as soon as you get a new model, yes, that's that's the easiest uh, way to to check it out. Yeah, also, spins as yeah. well. Spins are nice. Yeah. And uh, letting letting the glider to shoot after a big dive or from a wing over also gives you a very good um, representation of how the wing can jump in heavy turbulences and so on mm -hmm. also to try to stop it with the bees not only with brakes to see how much room you, to play you have there it's a it's a good uh, get to know move with your guy 
Back to your timeline, you, you started flying really seriously in the early 2000s. When did, you know, when did you start flying comps? When did you become an instructor? Take us through some of that. So, as I said, I was very lucky to be born in a flying family, but our country throughout the 90s had uh, big changes within, uh, probably, you know, back in the time of... Uh, uh, socialism, all the all the factories, all the manufacturing, everything was national. And in, throughout the nineties, there was a big uh, privatization, let's say, of the of everything that the state owned, including uh, big uh, factories where my family worked, my father, and so on. And as this got sold out, it was a little bit. Uh, weird way of selling it out and many of these factories never got to work again so by the end of the 90s like 2000 or something like that almost when i started flying we in our city especially we had 48 percent of unemployment so my father lost a job uh, difficulties uh, with my mother's work and so on and this led to the next uh, few years uh, I was flying really old wings. So when I started, I was flying Parat HP 2, P3, uh, like wings w- which were not only old back then, they were 10, 12 years old. Now, 10 years old wing is still quite a nice wing, but these wings were from the beginning of paragliding. Yeah, like yeah. eight cells like, and yeah, cells. So <laughs> the first glider was a twist or something like that. It was maybe 11 cells. Wow. And uh, you know Khrushchev takeoff? Yeah. So for my first two years of flying, two, two and a half years of flying, I flew almost everywhere else, but not from Khrushchev takeoff, from the main east takeoff, because the galley in front, my wings and with my weight, I couldn't pass the galley, the the, the trees. The, yeah, the <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I I was flying around uh, without uh, properly flying at the main side. Then I uh, we got uh, really the my first proper flying wing was a Sky Divine performance afnor performance wing i don't know it would be like a two three or end now yeah let's say uh from some friends uh in in macedonia very thankful for them they they got it to me they sold it to me but it was like almost for free yeah and it was the first uh, wing that i could properly fly and thermal uh, around and it was maybe five six years old for me, it was a brand new. It was a machine, <laughs> and uh, I did my first, I don't know, five hours flight, first eighty k's on this wing. Uh, this is around two thousand and four, and I'm fourteen, and in two thousand and five, uh, we were in Serbia. There was a World Cup. It was the biggest comp that this area of the Balkans have seen. Until then, and it was very close. It was in Niche, so yeah. it's uh, very close uh, from Macedonia, three hours drive, and you're there. And we went there with my father, and I was uh, I was a wind dummy. Yeah. And uh, I had awesome time flying with all the people that I 
been dreaming uh, before that. Even before I started flying, I was so obsessed. Um, for example, at the age of six, seven, eight, I knew all, not world champions from the past, but I knew all the podiums on the worlds and the Europeans of the years before. Seriously? Like in my mind. Oh 96, my this guy was third. 95, this guy was second. No I was, way. I was totally obsessed wow. from, from super young age. And uh, being on this event, it was a, like a breakthrough experience for me. It, it, um, mainly because Avasport, which was a harness manufacturer yeah. uh, back then, uh, quite a big one. They were a Bulgarian company. They already knew my father from the early 90s, yeah. from flying around uh, the Balkans, some competitions in Macedonia, Bulgaria and so on. And these guys, when they saw me flying, it was really not usual that you have 15-year-old kids flying around and t doing the task and so on. And they decided to help me and support me. Back then, they were having a World Cup team. Uh, and uh, they got me full equipment, new harness, rescue, wow, helmet. big deal. They got me uh, the previous wing from one of the pilots in the team. Uh, so I got a new glider, everything, and I was I was in paradise. I was finally legit. Uh, look, this can happen for me because you know you grew up in Macedonia. You see all these guys on VHS tapes uh, flying and uh, dreaming, like uh, I don't know Jimmy Patcher '98 uh, Worlds or World Cup or something like that. I, I, to this day, I remember every scene of these VHS tapes because there were like three tapes that would go 24 hours <laughs> in, in my house, you know. <laughs> and all you do is just sit there. You want to be one of these guys, you know. Wow. And uh, with that, with that support for equipment, it was a huge help for me. I could uh, start flying good proper equipment i could i could fly more often uh, abroad in bulgaria with them working a little bit on the harnesses helping them and developing and then this lasted for a um, couple of years and uh, got me to the my first competition glider and they supported me to go on the first world cup so i was qualified to go on world cup when i was 17, 18, also took, I was qualified for the... 2007. 2000, I was qualified for 2007 Australia Worlds at oh. 17. Wow. Yes, but I couldn't afford it. Yeah. And then uh, um, two other members of the Macedonian team went there, but then uh, I qualified for next year. My first World Cup was in 2008 in Poggio uh, in Italy. Yeah. And uh, my competition glider didn't arrive. was late just for two weeks for that event. And I was still flying the END from the year before, but I had such a blast. My first World Cup, super young. I don't know. Back then, there were I maybe there was nobody flying a World Cup at 17 or 18. I, yeah. I, I'm not really sure. So it, it was a big uh, big break breakthrough in 2008 with the first competition glider boom five 
uh, Europeans. Uh, I it was in Serbia that year, so I could go there as well. Again, close and cheap and everything. And from there on, it started. Uh, I started working in two thousand seven as uh, as a guide, and then slowly starting to instruct at eighteen. Uh, but before that, already we did some guidings uh, in Macedonia together with uh, Primoz Susha, yeah. and uh, um, it was it was uh, really the beginning of me finding the place in paragliding, and I was like, okay, this might work, this might work. But it was still, you know, for a country post-communist country in early two thousand or mid two thousands. To say you want to work paragliding, it's like that. That 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 is definitely that's not an option, man. Why (laughs) are you dreaming? Like what? There is no chance, you know. Um, In meantime, um, actually, my first comps were when I was super young, at thirteen or something like that. Immediately after I started flying, but in accuracy landing. Yes, in Eastern Europe. In those years, it was actually quite popular and it was probably a good move by my father as well because where else to put 13, 14 year old kid to compete if not in front of you watching landing yeah, instead yeah, of yeah. going right. it's <laughs> flying pretty, the distance. It's kind of a controlled, more of a controlled environment. For sure, for sure. And uh, I started doing this accuracy comp and it actually got my bug a lot probably because I want I like to compete in whatever it is yeah. I'm quite competitive and this was quite interesting for me and I in those years I throughout those those years I started competing a lot in in, in accuracy because it was relatively cheap yeah. it was a lot of fun it was very good learning experience at all also and uh, like at uh, 16 uh, in 2007 like early in the in the winter i was at the world's uh first time at the world's and i won third place i think that's the still probably the youngest medal on in paragliding whoa yes really yes and wow you must have been on the moon yeah that was that was crazy because from 2007 that was the first comp that i got to a podium yeah. first big comp that i got to a podium and then competing on this uh, world cup tour or european tour uh it was back then i um in 2007 8 9 uh and 10 or something like that i competed like uh, on 38 comps and i was on podium on 34 of them whoa i i got to first place in uh, FI ranking and it was really really going well on the on the accuracy thing because I, I was really uh, liking the the environment liking yeah. the game yeah. it's so much focus in just one split second and it's you and your technique and I and I really like the game and I, I went to a lot of accuracy comps because as I said, most of them, they were around Eastern Europe, so easy to access. You don't need the latest equipment as well. Super cheap entry fee. And a win was at 300 euros. Yeah. So I was going there to finance my 
cross country flying. Ah, that's awesome. Is that uh I don't know anything about accuracy. Is that do you chalk up some of your ability to all that accuracy stuff? Is it I mean is it would you suggest people get into it if they're first getting into flying? Is it an important thing is a good skill? It's definitely a good skill, but it's a skill as any other skill in controlling your ring well. For sure, starting your career, it will give you a big... It, you don't have to go to compete because it's still a competition environment with a lot of focus. And now it's also very difficult to compete uh, as well. But to get good at accuracy landing, I think it's a crucial point in order to progress later safely, but as well as... Um, with ease of mind, I I know tens of situations where we've been gliding on a comp on a very uh, very low, with not many options to land, and pilots would turn and land in a nice big field, and I would continue knowing if I don't catch the thermal, I can land anywhere, mm. and I catch the thermal and I go, and they bomb out, so it. It's definitely a skill to have, but it's like any other skill. If you put a little bit your mind into it, you will progress faster, which is definitely a good thing to do, especially for pilots living close to a good site or um, pilots that can fly only on certain days when they are out of work and the day is not that good for flying, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 Ks. But you can still do three flights, three nice accuracy landings or three nice uh, takeoffs with different technique that you will check. And then the next time you might need it, you will be better. At it. Mm. Is accuracy just scored on where you land? It's yes. The closest to that little dot? Yes. Oh. So it's... Uh, so it's not technique. It's not your launch. It's not no. your line. It's, it's just where you land. You need to land and not fall, which is also okay. very important. Okay. Uh, and it's measured by the first touch on okay. your foot. Okay. And it's quite fun because, like, the comps now are even back then, but the, the level is when you're fighting for World Cup or European Cup wins, it's like six, eight flights. And the total score from all the landings combined, it's like nine centimeters in total. What? Yes. Jeez. Yes. Really? Wow, you're very accurate. <laughs> very accurate. And it's a it's a big uh, mind game, let's say, a lot of tension, a lot of close results. You know that for this much you can be second or eighth. He just showed me about three inches there. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Wow. And uh, I, I believe that it also helped me develop as a competitor as well mm. to know when to push, to know when you cannot get better now. Then if you are trying for this two more centimeters, you might lose more. And so strategy, a strategy, a lot mm. strategy, focus to not be, um, I don't know, you know, tangent, ah, it's a comp and stuff like that. It, you know, Going on many comps in a easier environment like that, also being young, 
probably put you to ease to not have this uh, tension oh now going to the world so now mm. this is very important event mm. i think it, it helped uh, it helped a lot but the interesting part happens around 2009 2008 9 avasport uh, stopped supporting the the cross country team on the world cup okay and uh, I got no more wing from them. They still supported me with harnesses and anything and harness and rescue, whatever they were producing, but no, no more wings. Mm. And I had, uh, um, uh, I, something I had, uh, like the boom that they got me, I sold it. Then I threw some Mac Paramagus. I was having a blast in 2009. At uh, 19, second comp wing, everything is going well. I'm progressing, getting better and better. I don't know, first uh, on our nationals or national league, second in 2018, first in 2000, uh, uh, 2008, yeah. uh, 2009. Everything is getting better. We had a World Cup in Khrushchev where we, we had um, some top pilots uh, from Slovenia and... It's a, it was a pre-World Cup, so there were Italian pilots, I don't know, mixed batch of field, but it was Yasen with a Magpara prototype. Then it was um, uh, Matej Ceglar, Tilen's brother, yeah. with uh, a Niviuk prototype. And then everybody else, more or less, with normal wings. And us three, during five tasks, I would win two tasks. Then uh, Yasen win two, and... Uh, Mate won one of them and we were three of us we were top three 600 points above the fourth pilot whoa yes <laughs> and for me that was like okay it's happening I'm, I'm getting better now yeah. this is probably uh, the, that was probably the biggest success until then I won some local comps before that in cross country. Did you win that one in 2009? Or I was second or third. Okay. But we were just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Points were like almost very yeah. small differences. Right. And uh, I was like, nah. And that was a pre-World Cup. That was a pre-World Cup. Okay. And okay, now it's getting better. Perfect. But the next... That was the end of the season. And uh, the next year is coming. I have this... Uh, Two victories that I got on the accuracy uh, European Cup. Uh, I got uh, these six hundred euros for that. I can sell this wing for I don't know thousand, and then you have more or less not enough money for even a wing. I'm like, what I'm gonna do? No, <laughs> even if I manage, okay, I'm young. I mean, maybe I can manage to get some discount from somebody, but then you still need uh, some support to visit competitions and World Cups or yeah. stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And uh, at some point, I wrote Axis through a Bulgarian dealer, but never got reply back that autumn. And I was like, okay, probably this thing is not really... Because they were they had a very safe wing back then, and it which... I, as I told you, I was more on the safe side. Yeah. And it was quite attractive for me. Also, they had uh, one of the cheapest dealer prices as well. Yeah. So I was like, okay, maybe if they give me discount, oh, yeah. this can this can work out. 
but they never replied and uh, i was like okay you sit you do some work and when you get some more money you will compete in cross country again yeah in meantime accuracy continued because uh um there was a team from serbia sponsored by nike serbia yeah. they got me and covered my all expenses so i could still compete in in and there was prize money still. There, uh, there was prize money and all the expenses were covered by the team. Cool. So for me, it was like, okay, I'll continue with that. And in spring 2010, I go to um, Slovenia. There is a winter cup, but in the same time, Slovenian nationals and some World Cup in accuracy. Mm. And it's, it's happening in the same time. And I'm there with my... ENA, flying the comp. Before, usually we fly in the morning. Everybody are preparing to go up the takeoff, you know, the cross-country pilots. Yeah. I do some small acro and then there is some wind. We are soaring around takeoff before they fly and so on. And many Slovenian pilots know me because of the guidings before and I've been to you know it's uh, these Balkan countries it's a similar language and it's a young kid flying uh, it's not not really, many really really psyched no, young yeah, kid <laughs> not many kids flying around so the, many Slovenian pilots know me and these guys from Axis saw me flying as well and doing well on that comp in accuracy but saw me flying some aerobatics and stuff like that and they ask around who is that guy and like uh, that's Martin from Macedonia. Ah, this guy wrote us at some point. In ah, the really? Yes. They remembered it. They remembered it. And I was driving back from, from Slovenia when I got SMS. Still no internet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> roaming and stuff like that. It was uh, wild years. Yeah, they got SMS from the Bulgarian dealer. When you get home, call me. Because these guys from Axis replied back. Nice. And this is how the story started. They uh, first uh, they sponsored me a wing, and I started competing uh, for the team. Later, uh, very quickly, I started also testing for them a little bit, yeah. because in meantime, in in the accuracy comps. I would use every single opportunity to try as many wings as possible. Yeah. And doing some um, SIV maneuvers with them, like uh, testing maneuvers with them, looking how they're built and why and so on. Since I was 15, 16, like from the very beginning, I, I started uh, when I was a kid, I was doing model planes and I was always interested in this development and why is this done like that and so on. So when, when, Axis uh, started sponsoring me with a wing and competing for them. I tried to help them in the development. This was uh, difficult years. Uh, it was 2010. And Ozon just came up with the R10. Yeah. And everybody else were just... We, 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 were, we were like flying ENCs compared to yeah, Conway. Yeah, yeah. And so it was also still open class uh, years where... People were building up prototypes all the time and developing. And slowly I started um, working for them as well, testing. And this is when things came a bit more. Okay, now you're working uh, 
abroad a bit more internationally and it now it, it it's happening again a, a second life yes. let's say coming back yeah okay now it's okay it's okay <laughs> it's okay it, it's gonna happen it's gonna, still still this unsure but it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and then uh working for them uh, until are you instructing at this in this period too? in in meantime yes okay. uh since 2007 eight i started instructing okay. and, and uh, flying some tandems and stuff like that but you know uh, with local market, let's say Macedonia is a small country, and still flying was not as popular as as now. It was those years when it really uh, sure. be- became more normal, let's yeah. say, to fly from two thousand seven eight uh, onwards. And uh, I was working in our school uh, with uh, paragliding instruction and. Um, tandems and in meantime i was working for them like i would go over the winter to axis to to work on some wings and prototypes and then we would test in slovenia and so on in this when it's not a season period and then back in the season i would uh, fly at home and do some competitions and in the same time these are years since 2008 and 9 we organized uh we started organizing competitions uh with Goran. first yeah. it was uh first couple of years was my father and then slowly i was more and more into it and the the summer season was packed with competing and uh organizing and teaching yeah and then in the winter i would go to czech republic where we i would stay a month or two or something like that sleeping in the factory and then just working on new wings and stuff and trying out things. <laughs> These were years when Franta left the company yeah. to go to UP yeah. to design for them. And it, the the owner of the company, basically, uh, um, Radek, was starting, uh, was designing. But he was this wasn't his primary job before that you know mm-hmm. so we were learning a lot of things together and uh, progressing uh, quite a lot because uh, i was at the moment the only test pilot plus with the, some designs from before and the new try and error things yeah <laughs> learning was quite quick were you are you uh are you do you understand design and all that too? Are you pretty good with that kind of thing, or was it more feel and feedback from test? I mean, are you a, are you a computer guy? Can you get in and I mean, more back then, it, was it was it pretty heavily computer based then, or was it more still drawn it out? So we were we were already designing in glider plan yeah. back then. I'm not a computer guy, but glider plan it's so easy. It what it's. Not easy, but you don't have, need to be a programmer to, okay. to, to use it. Yeah. Uh, but in general, my job was more for feeling and flying. And, flying and uh, because of I've been so focused on watching other gliders or trying other gliders and thinking about, I could give suggestion and ideas. Okay, let's do this kind of uh, cross-section here or... Um, different diagonals and stuff like that or this kind of lines layout but then to implement it in the computer it was uh, Radek doing it of yeah. course okay. but there was 
I was really motivated and mm. uh, focused on on this kind of development. I, I I really I really loved it. So the R10 comes out. When are you guys going to bat with them? So R10 comes out in the spring, and uh, actually Axis said uh, we had a response very quickly mm. uh, th- which was something worked on even before i i joined them uh, already they had a, a carbon prototype uh, with a big carbon patterns like the baby hpp from the super final before wow. like huge one meter carbons inside like gibus's arc almost kind of but with carbon yeah and a two-liner ring but it was the same wing let's say uh that was from the year before with okay. just two lines now yeah. and very quickly we realized that it's not the two lines that make the performance only it's a, a big part of that is the wing itself and the profile you know yeah but uh, already on the europeans in 2010 i was flying uh, one of those uh, oh wow two Quick. liners yes okay. so most of the companies were quite uh, quick to jump in into having a wing in the two-liner category. The problem was that those were not really competitive, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> so you had the, you had the comp um, where you're, you know, your podium, you're 600 points ahead. It, it sounds like it, it, did it really start clicking for you quite quickly, the comp side of things, or was that beginner's luck? No, well, actually I won some comps even the year before okay and i was doing well on our national league again i would say i'm lucky even coming from macedonia without too much information you know you are 10 hours from the alps you are not in the middle of the paragliding world you're 12 hours from the alps but um in the 2000s we had a very good group of competition pilots from Macedonia mm. that were visiting a lot of comps, a lot of World Cups. Uh, Goran, probably visiting almost all the World Cups in the two, 2000s. Goran, Igor, uh, Vladimir. Um, they were not only going abroad, but they were quite good and they could learn new things and transfer it back. Mm. And me being uh, still a kid, I was really welcomed by all of them to receive a lot of knowledge. And this was uh, going actually relatively easy for me to progress. Mm. To, to As you say, it wasn't a moment where it clicked in. It, I felt that more in accuracy, yeah. where I would just go on comps or do some small training, not much of a training, but some training at home or go to comps and nothing, nothing, nothing. And all of a sudden from that one comp on the world, from then on, it was just, you are in the game all the time. You are one of those. But for cross country, it wasn't like that. It was more of a slow, gradual progress, just better and better and better. Okay. And how many hours a year do you fly? I now it's difficult to say depending uh, it's not many times I, I also say this to many of my students it's not only how many hours you fly 
what, what kind, kind of yeah. what kind of hours they are. Sure. I do a lot of tandems over the winters, yeah. uh, and if you take them in a account, there are many hours. But I think uh, good quality hours with uh, cross country flying, it's around two hundred, two hundred fifty. Okay. With tandems and everything, I fly more, but. Depending, it was some years more, some years less. When I was younger, I was really flying a lot. Now, with the with the guiding business we have in Macedonia, for sure, this is a, still a lot of flying. But then it's not always uh, with your comp wing, or, yeah. or you know. Yeah, yeah. So it depends. I I have around uh, three and a half thousand hours, maybe a bit, probably more. How many do you know? How many World Cups you've raced in? You kept track? No, but uh, there are not that many actually. Huh. I've been competing uh, in those 2010 to 2013, uh, 2010, 12, 13, something like that, even not the whole 13, when I was with Axis, maybe two World Cups per year. Yeah. Uh, before that, maybe again, also two World Cups per year, and then there was a, um, as as the business at home was growing, and the company, the Axis company, was, um, yeah, making some changes to have some full time pilot to have uh, there, not like me going and leaving i stopped working for them and in 2014 uh 13 the winter uh, i started uh, going to south africa to do tandems over winter and then uh, seasons back home uh, in cape town in cape town yeah. yes okay so i was doing that until COVID for every winter uh, oh really i love south africa it's uh, wow. it was my second home base uh, let's say uh, it's a beautiful place to to fly to to spend the winter i don't like the cold at all i'm not into skiing or stuff <laughs> like that <laughs> i you, as you know i've had a lot of people on this show over the years i don't know that i've ever met somebody so obsessed as you are with flying I mean, is, is there a break coming in all of this is it you know 2016 2017 do you ever it, it, do you ever burn out do you ever uh, I yes. mean, you do it year-round. For sure. Um, burnout is a real thing, but I, I really love it. And whenever I couldn't uh, do it uh, full-time dedicated on comps and cross-country flying because of, I don't know, finances or equipment or whatever, I was always finding different ways to fly. And many times... Uh, Especially Goran, he's a good friend now, and would tell me, "Come on, you're not focused enough. You need to do just that." But I love this as well, and this as well. <laughs> so I started flying hang gliders in meantime as well, uh, doing a lot of paramotors in the autumn when there is in Pelagonia. It becomes so beautiful. Uh, cold air gets down. There is no turbulence, nothing, uh, so you can fly the whole day around with the with the paramotor there is no thermals but at least with the engine you have plenty yeah. of fun good for photography as well yeah uh then the sailplanes came in 2017 and 
Yeah, I try some micro lights and stuff like that. Yeah, man, you are a, you are an aviator. That's amazing. Uh, okay, so a couple you were doing a couple a year, two thousand ten, two thousand thirteen, and then three four years with Axis, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Okay, it's almost almost four years okay. uh, with Axis. Um, difficult years. Um, for the business. For 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 competing ah, for okay. the. For competition career, yeah. very difficult years. Uh, Ozone is dominating. Nobody else is competitive at all in general, and um, also even uh, and most of the companies start to lose momentum as well. Yeah. Between them, it's also axis. They, uh, in, as much as they're focusing on the comp wings, they still need to make some. Uh, uh, normal wings and there was a lot business. going on then. I mean, there was business. the Peter Hita thing. There was the open class gets banned and yes. the CCC starts and a lot, a lot of a lot of shifts, yeah. a lot of shifts, yeah. um, which were not easy for many passionate companies that were putting a lot of effort in in competition flying as well and without big success, you know. Yeah. So uh, in meantime, I slowly start to work only uh, part-time for them just when they really need it and mm. uh, i'm flying in winter in in south africa and then over the summer we're doing still organizing the competitions yeah. and uh, participating in some and doing the guiding and, and courses and in 2014 uh, i was lucky enough that um, um I mentioned this many times. I'm, I am lucky. In 2014, Jean borrows me because we are organizing a World Cup in Crucial. Yeah. And I need something competitive. And uh, they had the Boom 9, which was maybe not at the level of Enzo 2 back then. Yeah. It was the closest possible wing, definitely. And through Petra, she she from Czech Republic, she was very helpful for me to organize a wing to borrow just for that comp. But the the week before that comp, we had our nationals and and Hungarian um, okay. open something like that. Yeah. It was mixed event, so I get the 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 glider first time on that event. It was uh, bad weather. We had like two tasks, but I got on podium. Slowly, confidence coming back because throughout those years I had some good results. Uh, I know second on World Cup task, uh, third, eighth, but not really big overall results. And you know, flying with a lesser competitive wing, you always need to do something different than the gaggle. Uh, yeah. to stay in the game. And then when it works out, it's like wow, fantastic. But when it doesn't. You are last, and things are it's hard you, for you, the overall. It's hard. I am twenty-three, four. Uh, two years before that, I could compete and beat many of these guys that are now. I have no chance, you yeah. know. Yeah. And confidence gets lower, and everything. And in two thousand fourteen, uh, Petra managed to get this wing for me just to fly it on the comp. It's a World Cup at home. Come on. So I, I get this wing 
and on the Hungarian Macedonian Open I was on podium yeah. and then on the comp I was uh, uh, 15th in the I, World Cup, in the World Cup yeah. I won my first World Cup task uh, I was I think first or second non Enzo uh, glider and in general it was really good feeling I was flying quite and good, well and good for Jen yeah as well for yeah, sure yeah. and um it was you know the feeling was coming back okay i i can do this obviously it's not forgotten it wasn't uh, uh you know and because of that good uh, uh good uh, result i could qualify for the super final which was in turkey which yeah. is super close as well so easy to go before the before the super final there was a pre-world cup in chameli where we're gonna go next year actually yeah. for a world cup yeah so it we did a very nice month of trip with my girlfriend uh sleeping in the car throughout uh, turkey one week on the pre-world cup where i won i think three out of four tasks Whoa. then to the super final i was 22nd or something like that i bomb out uh, one of the tasks which was like very um uh, i don't want to say unlucky bomb out but it was really bomb out without pushing it you know yeah. when you push and you bomb out you know it's you were trying to, you were trying to be good th- this was like okay now just let's all fly to go and suddenly we are on the ground with uh, nicola donini and few other top guys uh and that was uh, still again good result and it was again very nice year to come back and to prove okay this is good we, we can we can we can happen but in meantime uh the guiding uh, was getting um, uh, good at home and it was important years to to make the business to, yeah to m- make uh, make this from ground up basically because yeah. The comps were the, the very guiding you're doing in air XC guiding in, in Khrushchevo. Yes, or it's it's troops, it's tours uh, and guiding. Uh, so it's two types of um, trip you can do. You just focus purely on flying and cross country and learning, or just uh, having a nice relaxed time in Macedonia with a lot of flying. We travel around. In both cases, we are based in Khrushchevo, but we are tra- traveling to any flyable site in Macedonia. It's a small country, so we can yeah. even sometimes go to, to Greece or Albania, some close sites two hours away. But in general, we have quite quite good weather normally. Yeah. Often we fly at Ohrid as well. And uh, it was important years to develop this and also with the competitions. We started um, quite seriously in 2016. We organized Europeans as well as um, I helped out in the hang gliding worlds, uh, uh, Europeans as well, sorry, in 2016. So the next uh, couple of years were more more focused on that, mm-hmm. where I, in meantime, also one whole generation of competition pilots in macedonia stopped competing <laughs> more or less yes mm. uh, we had this generation of the 2000s that we we spoke about yeah they were 
kind of yeah you know slowly older the life uh, takes over family kids sure. uh, and they it's not like they were not competing at all but they really slow down a lot at some point uh, it was me and one more guy competing in an international comp that happening just right home you know right so it's it it was it was a small slow down we we didn't had a league since 2012 or 11 something like that so things started to become stale in the country for comp flying in general and um, in 2017 uh, it was a, a new young generation of pilots was around that were really motivated to compete again and to learn and so on and i kind of felt like okay these guys are super willing to fly and in order to get good even for me you cannot be the best pilot in the world if you are competing against yourself yeah. so you need you need good people around exactly. you exactly you need better people around you yes. that than you are to in order to to improve faster easier right and to get better and uh, i kind of led this new national league i created a, a, a new system we started competing with no costs nothing everybody we make like five uh, five uh, leagues per year without entry fee without anything in thursday evening we say okay this will be the takeoff because this is the best weather where we go we go there we just say the task this is the task or whatever and we fly no retrieves no organize no lunch packages nothing just, just pure <laughs> flying pure racing wow. Not, nothing else cool. matters wow. and it was a really big success in 2017 i left my comp wing at home i was competing with dnc that because that was the highest glider we had in macedonian league wow yes really? in 2017 and 18 there was nobody flying higher than enc because all the people were at that just level that just learn young people getting into it wow yes cool. And it was a very good learning experience for me as well. Trying to help these young pilots, I was also learning more and more. Sure. This is always the case. Because then then, then I would imagine what you say you have to do. <laughs> We all know what to do, but doing it is different. Not only that, you need to um, think of uh, things, especially competition mentality and so on. I was doing lectures for every league for the first two years like saturday we would review the task or we i would do some different uh, um, talks because back then i was invited to a few events like serial cup in slovenia and so on to do to do some lectures as well so i would transfer this as well to them and also when you have different group of people all towards the same goal somebody will do something else better than you or think of something else so it was kind of gradual progress and from this national league that in 2017 and 18 had maximum ENCs we came to the moment where Macedonia is third place in the world in 2023. 
Wow. It's really? amazing. This, uh, probably it's my biggest uh, personal reward for all these years. Wow. <laughs> uh, let's say. What was your first win in a World Cup? First World Cup win was only now in 2021 in Turkey. The one I was at? Yes. It was my best as well. Yeah, you dominated that one. That was amazing. So That was, a, you know, uh, uh, when the league started and everything, we, we everything started moving better. We got a very nice group of people to, to fly with and to compete with and to have fun, very good vibes. And to, to, in 2019, we started uh, going uh, on CCCs, ENDs, CCCs, depends who, some were flying Leopards, Xenos, yeah. Boom 11s, depends uh, who was at, le- at, at what level. And uh, it was Darko in that group, uh, uh, Georgi, that, is, uh, that was now with us on the national team, my brother uh, developing in the same time um, uh, Alexander was an old pilot that was that stopped flying for a little bit because of uh, family and twins at home and everything and then he was coming back into and uh, in 2019 we had worlds at home me and Goran are organizing they were the national team everything is perfect first cat one I think there were uh, then the team was maybe 30th or something like that out of 45 or 50, 50 teams or yeah. something like that. But first Cat 1 for, for them and maybe for half of them, it was like the third event, uh, third or fifth uh, comp in done. general. Like, right. That they ever done. Wow. So, uh, and it would, we had big plans for 2020 as probably many people around the world. But yeah. With uh, COVID and everything, everything was like a big setback, slow down, <laughs> stop. Yeah, we could fly a lot. Uh, some very nice uh, free flying in the country. Some big triangles. Uh, after so many years being busy in the summer, with my brother we did the two hundred case triangle. Uh, first. Uh, 200k triangle in the country just because there was it was COVID nothing yeah, nothing yeah, was do something. but this also slowed down the competition progress and for 2021 it was uh, uh, the first year after this whole new push for competition flying uh, when when well, we had the opportunity good. and it was very good timing with uh, Jean. Um, we we they they were sponsors for us in 2009 for the world championship and when the competition season started in 2021 they were flying some uh, of these boom 12s on the super final in Vicentis and I was like ah we are going to this world cup now can can I try this because there were like only five uh, wings produced uh, back then can i have one of them and it was a instant match you know after many years especially uh the 10 years before flying not really competitive wings uh, suddenly you are switched on and you things are working you, things are working without too much effort at all you know 
also it, it suited me very well um, it being uh, very easy to fly very feeling comfortable under it uh, it helped a lot in the uh, strong Turkish conditions for sure mm. and it was the instant match I'm curious when you you, you kind of had this juniors program league that you were developing and uh, teaching you said you did some seminars and some talks for those who are listening at either end of the spectrum really I'm thinking more people that are just getting into competitions uh I mean, I just learned something from Julian the other day that I'd never even heard. And I've been flying comps for 10 years. Uh, what are what are some of the key ingredients to building a repertoire of success? You know, you see, to me, the French are just operating on a whole nother level because they've got the coaching and they come through the juniors program and they're, they've got a coach on site. You know, Julian now goes to all these World Cups and works with them. Charles Cazot, who's flown World Cups for 30 years, is now taking over the juniors team. You know, this is something that is just completely foreign to the U.S. We don't have anything like that. Everybody that's flying comps has to do it pretty much entirely on their own. We have mentoring comps, which are amazing. You know, Nick Grease and Russ Ogden came out this year and they would talk about things. But what are some of your jewels, if they were, in terms of uh, teaching those, the younger pilots in Macedonia who you've brought? Darko is a good example. What, what, would, what are the things that are kind of key to making the stepping stone? It, I must make it clear, I was really helping them a lot on the beginning but as this progressed uh, 2021 2022 2020 as they are progressing they we are all helping each other i think this has been the the key in, ingredient mm. without uh, you know there is couple of ways possible in my mind uh, for sure, you need somebody to lead in order for somebody that is not on that level to progress. But it's very important as well as when you have many people which are on the same level or on a very good level, then to work together. I think this has been one of the key points and one of the biggest factors for our success you know paragliding is a it's a sport with a lot of emotions a lot of feelings a lot of adrenaline a lot of egos as usual for any aviators and it's not easy to work in a team yeah especially when you are at the similar level and fighting for the same thing national champion league champion or whatever and i think our the biggest success in our group in our, the way we did it was that uh, when these pilots progressed and got all on good level they still stayed together we still stayed together and working and helping all the time instead of everyone just splitting for their own uh, now it's time to beat you or whatever uh, and uh, especially because we have such a low numbers mm -hmm. uh, in our national league, we have up to 25 competitors that are coming to every league. We have a bit more, but 25 that are coming to every league. And we have 15 competition gliders. And 
as I told you, we have we had zero maybe six years ago. Right. So uh, when you have such a you, when you don't have a big pool of people that you can just pick point, take them and and go, it's like a natural selection. Mm. Then you have to work more as a team. You are less, you are more vulnerable. But if you progress as a team and if you help each other, I think everybody can elevate on the same level. Mm. And this is why I say, because I got this question many times from countries like small countries like Hungary to bigger countries. We were discussing similar stuff, what you mentioned with uh, Garcia um, now when they were in Macedonia. So um, for us or for small group of people, small pool of people, I think teamwork, it's a very uh, effective tool to progress together. And once everybody is good, you can learn from each other. Mm. So I was teaching or helping them in the first two years, but uh, there are many ways that they teach me now as Mm. well, even after so many years of flying, Mm. for sure, because different minds think differently and you can always pick uh, uh, good things from everybody. One from simple things like... uh, storing your glider in order to be more comfortable later for when you go and open on takeoff you know like mm. anything mm. and uh, but for for big nations france has a unbeatable system it's it's a perfect system supported by the government with professionals developing other professionals mm. and this is very difficult to do in commercial world where somebody for you to dedicate the time for somebody it's very yeah it's expensive yeah it's uh, stuff and it needs a lot of time to be dedicated yeah to somebody in order for them to develop themselves and i think we were we were lucky in this uh point first of all to have talented people super talented people but also to be such a nice persons that they can all work together without any big troubles at all. So when you guys are at these comps, are you all staying together? Are you analyzing track logs at the end of the day? Are you are you kind of are you having little team meetings before after the task is released? Are you working together like that? Especially earlier, we did that more as more things were unknown. Yeah, but let's say. Now it's easy, just the right back that we're going to do some uh, talk. This was a mistake. That was a mistake. Uh, more or less, it, it's already a, a um, debrief, uh, let's say. But uh, we stay together. We travel together. We fly on the same radio frequency, mm. even on individual comps, not like the Worlds, uh, when we go to World Cups and stuff like that. And I think uh, this is uh, definitely helps for sure. Mm. The... The 21 World Cup in Turkey, you know, for for me as well, I, that was my best World Cup ever. I got fourth there. It, it everything seemed to just align that week. You know, I've I've had many days in other World Cups, and I haven't done a ton of World Cups, but you know, it's 
Super Finals 2012 was the, I did two that year. So that's, you know, and every year there's been maybe one. Most of the ex-Alps years, I do hardly any. But mm. so it's been a mix. But, you know, that one was just, I constantly felt like I was in the right position and in a nice controlling position and it wasn't desperate. Just, oh, I got to catch up. And you were the same for you. You won. You were, you know, I remember you were top five almost every day. You were just dominating. Top three. Top three. That's right. You were. Uh, what was, and then we have other comps where you, we've both been in this case too, where it just, nothing seems to be working very well. What's the difference? You know, what, what's, what's happening at that one versus another one? Is it? First, uh, I think it depends of the case. For sure, it's a mentality thing, but it can be mentality from disturbed being, building a house at home, mm. what you mentioned to me <laughs> before. Or uh, just, uh, I don't know, flying a lesser equipment and you're desperate, making desperate moves, trying to win with uh, actually your best chances to be its uh, eighth, for example. Mm. And uh, instead of just flying and fighting for eighth, you're fighting for first and you end up 42nd, you know, so... These so realistic think, expectations. I think this important. is for consistent flying. I think this is one of the most uh, important aspects. Uh, it's very important to have realistic goals if you want to get the maximum of each event. Mm. This means also many times you will do all the right moves, but the first task will go in an unpredicted way where the whole leading gag will bomb out. Mm. So, what can you do? Yeah. You need to readjust your expectations because now you're flying with a one task less and then you you change the style. And I think this is a key point and very difficult to do, especially uh, going uh, into a different event with different expectation. Many times this switch of mindset can come a little bit too late. Okay, I'm fighting for the U.S. Nationals. I'm quite good this year. I did the good. And you go there and, I don't know, the, the, the conditions are not really your style or you make a mistake in the third task and you still want to win where you could be realistically second or whatever. Right. I think um, it's all mentality. When things are going all together, and you're doing well, but you don't know why, this is a problem, let's say. This mm -hmm. is not a problem. It's You are doing well, but this, this is not sustainable. So mm -hmm. you always need to know why was that happening well or why it was not happening well. Mm -hmm. And many times uh, there are very rational reasons if, you tr if we try to look at ourselves from outside not from our inner self okay maybe you are not that good in week anyway mm. so how do you expect that things will go differently or you are not that good in super strong conditions you're not that comfortable you have changed harness and you're not you're still setting up the harness on the third day of the comp and you're frustrated why why it, why it didn't went well you know mm. where did i made the mistake but this there are very often very logical reasons that we think that they are not affecting us, but they do, mm. for sure. 
it's a our sport is a mind game right so it's a 3d chess as mentioned many times before and uh it really i i think it's really important to be in a in a good uh, state of mind in order to look things objectively to be consistent mm. you spent a lot of time with goran and he's he raced for a long time what are, what are, what are the some of the things and he's i feel like he's kind of a mentor to you i remember i remember in turkey he was as excited as you were when you won that uh, it was kind of like, ah, he's my son and he won. The, what are some of the things he's imparted on you? That, you know, so, having that outside perspective, now that he's not racing, but he sees everything, I imagine he's got some pretty valuable input. So he will be listening to this, so I have to mention. He <laughs> haven't been racing for a couple of years, but this year on our nationals, he was third. Wow, big, big, big success actually for him after so awesome. many years not not competing. Wow, but um, we I've been working with Goran, um, organizing comps for now more than a decade, more than ten years, and uh, I've learned a lot about management style and this organization organizational stuff regarding the flying. Um, He's still all from this generation, from the 2000s, when it was a hero or zero. Now, Yasin. Yasin. <laughs> now you beat everybody or that's it, you know? Yeah. But at the those uh, first years, uh, some of the, these kind of advices were also helpful for me. Not much... Uh, later but uh, at the beginning like things like uh, I, I will probably it, it it's something I, I've remembered many times and he's like Martin come on you are enjoying this comp too much these are not your idols these are your enemies you need to beat them come on <laughs> when I was when I was I don't know 22 23 for me it was still you know every day it's uh, living the dream you know meeting all these people that I only have read in magazines and he's like that these are your enemies you need to beat them not to adore them you you can adore them after the comp <laughs> <laughs> smart but but this this is a good uh, it was a good um, it was a good advice uh, as well because after all the you are here for racing it i understood it more in a, in this way you're here for racing you need to be focused on that yes everything else it's it's quite fun to watch them fly or what wing they have and everything but the main focus it's always what you can do best mm. yes there and also to to believe more in yourself because uh, going on a big comp watching all these pilots doing amazing results and then uh, you need to think that you are on that level in order to be on that level mm. if you think no, no, for sure they are better than me it's uh, it's difficult to make that jump in the final final uh, frontier for, for top results again the, against the top pilots it's very good to learn when you're in the beginning, but when you go into the game to fight for the victories, you also need to think that you are on that level, no matter how glorious uh, 
they can seem or you know mm. i'm i'm a fan of the sport so i i really like the the whole environment and superstars and and everything and i admire a lot of people but definitely that was a very good lesson to know that you are here to beat them and you can so just put your mind into it as you look forward to the next five Ten years of doing this. What are your personal goals? What do you What do you see yourself spend time focusing on? I I would love to keep uh, competing on World Cups as much as I can. First of all, because it's uh, the best game you can play in my mind. Uh, in my opinion, uh, it's I love it. I enjoy doing it. You learn so much all the time no matter at what level you are. And I really like uh, getting better at flying because it opens up so many different possibilities that makes the game, even, again, just better, no matter if it's, if it's uh, con flying or even when you go back and you fly on your own, being better pilot widens the... the possibilities so much that it's so nice that I love getting better in order to enjoy more there is I don't think uh, I don't think uh, mentioning things like uh, goals to become world champion or something like that are different than anybody else uh, probably majority of the pilots competing are competing for that, I, I believe. Yeah. I would think so. So this is definitely a, a life, lifetime achievement that I would like to have. But mm -hmm. uh, I think that the first goal of getting better will definitely lead me closer to that ultimate goal. Mm. And um, let's see. I'm open to to learning and progressing because I, I think that it's really important and I feel like the game is also changing constantly. It's not the same flying that we did even two years ago or even yeah. five years ago. Yeah. There are small differences, but uh, to be at the top, you need to be adapting constantly. Yeah. Martin, great stuff. Uh, it's what a pleasure to be able to do this again live with you here in in france and nice work great finish yesterday that was very exciting and uh wish you all the best bud thank you very much uh i i will i'll thank you very much i as i told you before i'm honored to be your guest i watched i listened so many of your podcasts and the book and everything it's a, it's a true pleasure to be here with you speaking as part of this big community and I hope uh, we're gonna have we're gonna end up with a better sport because of podcasts like this in general when we can all learn from each other thanks man appreciate it if you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable you can support it in a lot of different ways you can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. 
You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription. And it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you